from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. If you want to join us tonight, it's uh, Wednesday night, by the way, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And there is a new Speaker of the House that's been elected. Uh, Mike Johnson is now the Speaker of the House of Representatives. Congratulations, Congressman, Mr. Speaker. And uh, there's another story that's... Um, breaking that's um very distressing uh about an hour ago or so let's see we've got an active shooter situation in maine uh hospital says that there's mass casualties it's a mass shooter event and at least 22 people are dead 30 people are injured following this deadly shooting in maine uh just horrible to see these things happen uh Spanned across three locations uh, a couple, like I said, a few hours ago, Fox News has confirmed that the active shooter incident occurred at these three locations. Uh, I don't know how to say that one. I'm going to go with Shemenji's Bar and Grill Restaurant, a Walmart store and a place called Spare Time Recreation. Uh, There's a clear photo of this guy. Kind of looks uh, a white guy with a beard, dark brown hair. Brown hoodie. Looks like he's holding uh, an AR-15 and he's taking aim. Taking aim. Main, uh, the Maine State Police says in a Facebook post that there is an active shooter. Um, geez, it's horrible. And a local hospital in Maine is saying that they're reacting to uh, massive casualties. As of 9 p.m., the hospital said that they can't share any specifics on the number of casualties. Uh, Central Maine Healthcare is coordinating with the area hospitals. And this is one of those things we'll keep our eye on this all night long as any additional information uh, comes out. And the shooter's driving a, a white crossover type of uh, small SUV with the front bumper potentially painted black. Horrible. Uh, Sarah Rumpf uh, is the, um, the reporter on that story. It's always it's always very distressing to hear those things. <clears throat> it really is, and it's it's always usually even worse. And most of the people in these places, you know, they don't see it coming. And because of the the situation that we have in so many states, people aren't really able to to defend themselves, especially in uh, in the Northeast, which is a, r- a real shame. Anyway. Uh, there's also been some new details released on the death of Obama's personal chef. Um, I read the story. It doesn't seem like uh, breaking news, but mentioning it nonetheless, uh, I don't think, you know, I think a lot of people are waiting to hear something like, yep, Obama did it. Obama's implicated. He's the one. No, I, I, I don't I don't see that happening. I don't see that happening at all. And uh, there's stranded Americans that are abroad and they say they went to the U S embassy and the embassy did nothing to help them when the uh, war in Israel started. Uh, you've got a, 
an Anglican bishop and his wife, his name is Quig Lawrence, uh, they had the misfortune to fly into Israel on October 7th, the day that Hamas began its horrible massacre of the, uh, of the music festival and all the rest of the Israeli citizens. And he was planning to lead a church tour, arriving a day or two early to be ready for it. They spent the rest of that Saturday sorting things out and finally canceling the trip. Looking uh, to their safety, they called the U.S. Embassy for guidance. They were appalled. They said that when they asked for shelter, the embassy personnel denied it. They didn't help um, this particular family arrange to leave the country and even refused to give them the embassy's address in Jerusalem. That's according to Bishop Lawrence. Not cool. Not cool at all. But again, that's been the norm. Uh, we saw the same thing happen during the Obama years um, in, in similar situations. I don't know what to tell you about this stuff. I tell you, I think this administration has honestly been so disappointing, so disappointing. I can tell you when I've been on vacation abroad, it was always in the back of my mind. If something went down, I'm making my way to, to the embassy or to the consulate. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get inside that gate so I could be on U.S. land, so to speak. And it, it's just a shame that we have an administration right now that literally puts the needs of our enemies above the needs of of the American people. Citizens come last. Very, very distressing, in my opinion. And, I, of course, uh, I don't like Joe Biden. But I can't, I mean, I, I try to be fair. But this is one of those things that uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't add up for me. And the hostage situation remains the same. I think we still have 222 hostages. And... There's uh, been a survey, Washington Free Beacon put this together, and the question is, should the United States send in the Marines to rescue the hostages? Well, you'd be surprised. Most people said yes. 73% of the American voters that uh, responded to that survey said yes. Deploy the Marines to rescue American hostages held by Hamas in the Gaza Strip. It doesn't surprise me. By and large, I feel like the American people are, are really good people. They are true blue. You know, most people just want to work, do well, make enough money. Well, at least it used to be make enough money to go to Disney once a year. I think a lot of people have kind of gotten sour on Disney. But you get my drift. People just want to do the right thing. Work hard, play hard. That's the goal. Sadly, it's becoming harder and harder to, to do that. Somebody was telling me something the other day about something that they bought that doubled in price. Might have been one of the callers on this show or a, a sidebar conversation and out, off the air. But either way, I thought to myself, you know, when you do something like that and you buy 10 items that are 40, 50 percent more or, or have now, you know, completely uh, doubled in price. How much of it can you get? Or are you just going to spend that much more money? And, you know, the housing crisis is something. And I say the housing crisis because I believe it is a crisis. I think part of the American dream has always been to, you know, get your foot in the door of a good company, work, make yourself a career, save some money, take care of your family, and buy yourself a home. Right? You have a home and then you can, you have some real property and you could, you can give that home to your children and it could go up in value and they can have something. And this this idea is really dissipating, right, from from the, the the notion of the American dream. 
I don't know, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. That was the surefire way to make it. Now you're competing with other banks that want to buy these properties and it's difficult to compete. You will go to a, a bank to get a loan. It's going to be hard to get a loan. Why? Because interest rates are high and banks don't want to lend as much. And guess what else is high? Rent and property values. <laughs> Those are high too. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. I, I think to myself, you know, I, I, I would personally like to relocate to um, South Florida. And every time I look at something in South Florida, I think, man, I don't know if I could afford to be there. It's no longer the bastion of affordable living that it once was. Things don't look good. If somebody were to poll me today and say, hey, you're better off now than you were four years ago. Um, I'd say I'd say in some ways, yes, and some ways, in some ways, no. But I think by and large, most people would say no. I mean, the, the world is facing a potential World War III. We've got more division in our politics than we've ever had before. Some of it's even friendly fire, but hopefully we've put an end to that, right, with the new House Speaker. And we're going to get into that in a moment uh, with our guest. I want to talk about the new House Speaker and uh, get some reaction to that. Plus your calls, 866-505-4626 is our legacy line that's always open and available for you. And I want you to kick back, relax, enjoy the show. I'm here with you till 1 o'clock tonight, and there's a lot to cover, so don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. We want our allies around the world to know that this body of lawmakers is reporting again to our duty stations. Let the enemies of freedom around the world hear us loud and clear. The People's House is back in business. All right, amigos, welcome back, familia. That was the new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson from Louisiana. Uh, after um, giving his address, his acceptance speech, victory lap, uh, congratulations, Mr. Speaker. And I want to get into that and, and um, what we can expect and a couple of other things with Ashley Hayek. She's the executive director of America First Works. She's also the author of a book, Beat the Elites. We're going to get into that in the next segment. Ashley Hayek, welcome to the program. Hello. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So uh, I want to get your initial gut reaction uh, to what happened again yesterday. I was on the air when this news broke yesterday. Um in the first segment around this time, right? It was around 1020 and all of a sudden, you know, an hour earlier, Emmer had dropped out and then some, somehow we hear, okay, we've got Mike Johnson. And I was like, wow, I didn't see that one coming. Did you? <laughs> no, I did not see that coming. I thought we were going to be at this for a few more days. I was Me worried too. we were going to be at this for a few more days. Um, and I think a lot of people, so fortunately, America First Policy Institute, which is the sister, the nonprofit think tank to America First Works, um, did a big event with several members of Congress. Mike Johnson was part of that. So I was familiar um, with his background. And also he was, he's been just a very low-key um, defender of President Trump for a long time. So I think he was on folks' radar, but not in this way. And it's actually, in my opinion, I think this is huge. Um, I think it's significant, and I think 
you know, the power through his leadership could actually return to we the people, given, you know, his policies and his priorities. Yeah, I, I don't doubt anything you're saying. I, I know that I'd heard about Mike Johnson being mentioned uh, if if uh, Jim Jordan was going to become speaker. There was talk about putting him up uh, to be chair of the Judiciary Committee. I know in his oh. I've seen his work in the hearings. He's he's been real tough on people. Uh, which is asking the right questions. Uh, but again, like you said, very low key. I just didn't see it coming. Uh, I have no bones about it. Uh, I'm just looking forward to, to seeing how he brings us together. And I think he might be the guy. Um, I, I've always felt, and this is why I was never as hard on McCarthy as a lot of, uh, uh, as a lot of others were. And it wasn't because he, he was some spectacular conservative, because I don't think he is, but I thought he was a good politician. And I thought he was able to get things um, done, being that we're kind of split down the middle. And you've got to cut some deals in Washington. I worked in state government for a while, and whether you like it or not, and and um, I, I'm a conservative, and I have a very, very strong opinions on debt and things like that. But I also realized you could turn blue holding your breath, and you might pass out. You know, it doesn't mean it's going to happen just because that's what you want. Right. And, and I feel that um, you need somebody who has that finesse, who has that ability to, to, to get along. Um, and you also need somebody who's a fighter and who's going to be in their face right. and, and, and bring the fight. And, and it's a fair balance. And it's kind of like Trump in many ways, right? Trump is that guy. He's, he can be really charming and, and very debonair and very smooth, or he could be like a bull in a china shop and get things done. But you need to get things done is the bottom line here. So I think your, your comment that he might be the right guy is, is uh, a, a welcomed one. What, what do you think uh, yeah. is going to be the first order of business for him? Do you think they're going to tackle this um, – this work for the CR, uh, funding for Israel. How do you think they attack uh, all this work that's kind of building up in the people's house? Well, it looks like tonight they already took some action um, condemning what has happened with Israel. So there was a vote that took place automatically, which I think is helpful to show that, you know, the people are back in business. It also put several Democrats on record. Um, so I think that that was a you know, very positive thing as well. Um, I do think that one of the things that he did that kind of set him apart, in my opinion, is that he put out a plan. And I always say, if you do a plan, you got to do a what by when. What are you going to do and when are you, you going to do it by? In a couple of days, he laid out the appropriations plan and what needs to get done. Um, he did say he would propose a measure that would expire January 15th or April 15th, depending, depending upon the conference consensus, um, to extend government funding. But he mapped out, okay, week of October 23rd, this week, energy and water, next week, legislative branch, um, interior and environment, the following week, um, commerce and justice and science, following week after that, agriculture. And then he talked about, you know, what are we going to do when we get back next year um, from October to November, then December, January through April. I mean, he literally mapped this out to the end of next year. And I think that that's pretty refreshing, not just saying these are my policies, but these are the policies and this is how I'm going to implement it. So that was really refreshing um, to me. I know that he has a background. He's a constitutional attorney. Um, he understands the system. Having served a minor, uh, uh, the vice chair of the Judiciary Committee is key. Um, he's got good relationships. He came from the um, Republican Study Committee, but he also is an ally of the Freedom Caucus. So I really think that this is going to be very, very positive. Um, and the fact mm -hmm. that there was no drama around his vote, there was none. 
um, I think that says a lot. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, it's it's in retrospect. I didn't think this last night. Last night, I said, "Oh my gosh, what's going to happen now? Will he drop out? <laughs> what's what's the next step here?" And and uh, in retrospect, I look at it and I think, you know, it seemed like somebody somewhere said, "Look, all right, you guys don't want Jordan. You don't want Donald. You don't want this one. You don't want that one." Emmer's totally out. He got scorched earth uh, from Trump on on Truth Social, and that was fantastic. So. I think they immediately came to a decision. They said, all right, we, we got to come with somebody that we agree with. And uh, he seemed to have everybody's blessings and everybody went for it. And, and it seemed to work. And I think that's a real positive step because while I love the system working and and um, I, I applaud Gates for what he did, uh, I also think we, we need a speaker, right? And we can't continue to run right. around like a chicken without a head. So this seems to be a, a really good step in the right direction. Now, with respect to that, what do you think is is going to be the outcome? Do you think? Uh, I mean, obviously, if uh, if everybody on on uh, from the center to the right can tolerate Mike Johnson, uh, it's my supposition that um, their colleagues on the left don't like him. Do you think they're going to give him a hard time, or do you think uh, he's going to be able to get along? It wouldn't be Congress if the people on the left didn't give him a hard time, right? Like <laughs> that's, that's kind of the nature of Washington D.C. Um, I'm sure there are operatives who are digging through every single social media post. We're seeing a lot of them on X right now resurface of things he's tweeted in the past. Um, you know, he was the guy that said it was unconstitutional or illegal for Nancy Pelosi to rip up the State of the Union address that President Trump gave. Um, he had a huge role in devising the argument to um, keep President Trump in power, uh, dis- you know, during what happened the 2020 election. And he ar- he made a constitutional argument that, you know, the changes to the voting procedures during COVID-19 were unconstitutional. And that argument is the one that influenced 147 Republicans to vote against the certification of Joe Biden. Um, so, I mean, he's got a very solid conservative and he, it's not like he does things because it sounds good. He does it based in legal reason. I think that's going to be very helpful. Um, one thing that is not necessarily mentioned on here, but I think that he will take action on it is continue the investigation of Biden corruption in the, in the Biden family. Excellent. That's something I want to talk to you about as well, straight ahead, as well as your work at uh, America First Works and your book. So stick with us. Ashley Hayek is with us. She's executive director at America First Works. And we're coming right back with her, plus your calls, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't move a muscle. Afford Anything talks about how to avoid common pitfalls, how to refine your mental models, and how to think about how to think. Paula, while certainly you can mess up on a million dollars a year, it is far less likely than it is on $30,000 a year. Right. I would meet wonderful people that were struggling with a budget that was super tight. It was 100%. You need to make more money. Make smarter choices and build a better life. Afford anything, wherever you listen. was talking about how the issues we have on our border are purely policy issues. They are not funding issues. And that 
the Biden administration has done nothing to address policy. That is false. The problem the Biden administration has is that every policy change they make is subject to a lawsuit by Republicans. So the Republicans are trying to sabotage the Biden administration's efforts to fix the issues at the border and then bash the administration while they are doing that. That is not helpful. Congressman Dan Goldman at a hearing today saying the Republicans are trying to sabotage the Biden administration's efforts to solve the border crisis. But is it the Republicans stopping Biden from um, his uh, disastrous Bidenomics plan or from anything else that he's doing and his criminality? Let's find out from Ashley Hayek. She's the executive director of America First Works. Ashley Hayek, what do you think uh, about uh, Representative Goldman's comments that it's Republicans that are making the problem at the border worse, not the Biden administration? Joe Biden could stop the border crisis right now. He could have done it um, by not undoing all of the Trump policies, stay in Mexico, catch and release. Um, there, there are numerous policies documented that could have easily stopped what's happening in September over almost 270,000 migrant encounters at the southern border happened. That's September alone. It was the highest single month ever recorded. Um, they have lost 85,000 children in America. They already know that there are um, Middle Eastern terrorists, uh, military-aged men from China who have come in through our southern border and are in the United States unaccounted for. And this is all a result of Joe Biden and his lack of enforcement. And I would say that this is a border strategy by design. They didn't want to enforce the border. The only reason they were selling off parts of the wall. Remember that just a month ago, they were selling off. uh, The government was selling, um, selling the materials from the wall. And then they decided uh, because they had to fund evidently right before everything happened in Israel they started, quote, rebuilding the wall through the end of fiscal year 2023. So it's, it's a show. It's nonsense. They have literally caused this crisis in our country. And it's going to be devastating when something very, very bad happens and they will all be complicit in it. And by the way, bad things are happening. Human trafficking, sexual abuse, child abuse, um, all happening at the southern border. They are, they, Biden administration and all of those Democrats are complicit in allowing that to happen. Well, I think you're right. And I think that's probably the biggest problem. The fact that the United States government uh, with Joe Biden at the helm and Alejandro Mayorkas are literally overseeing probably the largest human smuggling operation in American history or maybe even global history with the amount of people that are coming through that border. The U.N. even labeled the southern border crossing as the most dangerous border crossing on the planet. And uh, I, I think it's it's disastrous from a humanitarian perspective that they allow women and children and all sorts of people to, to be harmed to make this trek. And it seems like it's all good to the Biden administration. But I don't expect much more from Biden because he, he's he's a crooked politician and he always has been. And I think that's coming to light. But I don't know. I'm a biased talk radio guy. You know, uh, what, what do you think is the consensus uh, or the, the pulse of the American people on the criminality of Joe Biden and this $200,000 quote unquote loan and, and all of that? I think if you look across the administration, uh, there's so much corruption, which is why his approval rating is so low and why 
the top uh, candidate for President Donald Trump right now is beating him in every single poll. I mean, last night uh, you were talking to President Trump's pollster and he was even talking about how President Trump is beating him in all the polls. Uh, mm-hmm. It's because of these really bad policies. It's because of the corruption. You know, earlier when we were talking about, you know, the speaker, you look at Merrick Garland, right? And you look at the Department of Justice and how they have targeted Americans um, a- across the board, how his son-in-law was selling the CRT curriculum. Uh, parents were protesting. And uh, he, he actually was uh, Mike Johnson who made uh, Garland explain why he targeted parents as terrorists, if you remember that. Oh, yeah. And you have Merrick Garland, who's completely complicit in all the things we just talked about. Um, our organization, America First Works, actually called for his impeachment uh, because we just think it's such it is such a humanitarian crisis. And then, yes, Joe Biden, you had two hundred thousand dollars go from um, a corporation into James Biden and Sarah Biden's account uh, and then into Joe Biden's account in the form of a personal check. And Chairman Comer said, there's more. Just wait, there's more. So this is incredibly concerning. We have a president who's compromised, an entire administration who's compromised. We need major change. And we need it now. What do you think uh, is going to be the real? I'm a real cynic when it comes to p- corruption in politics because uh, I, I grew up in Brooklyn and I, I live in New Jersey mm-hmm. now and I served in Chris Christie's administration. And and it, it, Jersey is a cesspool of corruption in state government. And uh, what I learned in my time in government, uh, I I can see happening in Washington. And when somebody tells me, I don't care who it is, Comer or anybody else, and God bless him for the work he's doing, uh, that, you know, we've got this and we've got that. I, I just don't see a world where, where Biden's really held accountable, minus maybe, you know, not getting elected again, which would be a blessing in and of itself. But I, I just don't see it happening. And I know he's talking about criminal referrals, and, and I hope I hope that they happen. But do, do you see any type of accountability coming Joe Biden's way? Not until there's a new administration. Um, you know, if we go back even a little bit further, the IRS investigation into Hunter mm-hmm. Biden and all of, all of that funding, we saw how the DOJ, I mean, he got the white glove treatment, right? Oh, yeah. um, he, he, they made sure that, you know, they were, he was warned when people would go to his house, um, certain things were allowed to be looked at and then not looked at. Um, advanced notice had to be given, allowing incriminating evidence to be removed. I mean, the things that have been proven so far are not even remotely close to any of the allegations during the Russian collusion, which all proved to be false. And there has not been any sort of indictment or impeachment effort on on Joe Biden or anything proceeded with the uh, Hunter Biden and his family, the gun charge, right? Like that was ridiculous. It was a slap on the yeah. wrist. Um, but I do think with the new administration, there is some hope there um, to restore. And I think, you know, there are organizations like America First Policy Institute that are looking at what is a day one America First administration look like? What needs to happen to, to the Department of Justice? What needs to happen to the Department of Education? You know, how do you make sure that government is actually working for the people um, and that anyone who goes into those offices, if you look at what executive orders need to be written. And so I'm so grateful to work with organization like AFPI and America First Works that is literally going through department by department and auditing and looking at exactly what needs to be done because the corruption has to stop. It is so yeah. deep. You talk about um, the swamp and the deep state and all of that. 
it's there. And so this is really an opportunity. I think now that so much of it has been exposed, there is an opportunity to, to drain the swamp. Yesterday, we saw some news that Biden did not file to um, get on the ballot in New Hampshire. And some are, you know, the, the Democrats at the DNC, they say, well, no, this is just a kind of perfunctory type of thing where he doesn't have a primary challenger anyway. So blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's just not commonplace. And they've changed the rules for this election cycle, in my opinion, to benefit Joe Biden. But do you make anything of that? Do you, do you sense that Biden might bail out before the election, maybe a, a switcheroo or a contested convention where they announce somebody else as their candidate? No, I honestly don't at this point, and I'll tell you why. First of all, that would be completely unprecedented. But second of all, they're so used to changing the rules for him now. They did it all through 2020. Um, so I, I don't see that as as being unusual for them. I think they like to change the rules when they feel like they're not getting their way. or I, I don't know, but I, I will say I think that he's going to be their person, and I would be very surprised if they made a change at this point. But who knows? Anything could happen. Yeah, that's the truth. We see that every day. Uh, folks, we're on with Ashley Hayek. She's uh, executive director at America First Works, and she's also the author of a book, Beat the Elites. We're going to talk about her work at America First Works and the book straight ahead. 833-482-5337 is the phone number. 833-4-VALDEZ. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Thank you, Rich, and thank you for everything. I know you very well, and I have I listen, but I have a lot of people that listen, and they love your show, and I appreciate it very much. America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, familia, welcome back, amigos. Uh, we're having a conversation with Ashley Hayek. She's the author of Beat the Elites and uh, the Five Steps to Stop the Elites and Save America. Ashley Hayek. Uh, let's start off with uh, how a nice girl like you gets involved in politics. I'm from California, so you talk about the corruption in politics in New Jersey, and I feel you coming from a state like California. Um, <laughs> I, I had my, I had my, you know what I'm talking about, right? Totally. Um, so I started my a business uh, when I was about 22 in California. I was doing political and nonprofit fundraising, and um, I loved it. And and but what I didn't love was I would work on different campaigns, get people elected, and then they wouldn't do what they promised to do when it fell into typical government as usual. Um, and I'll never forget in 2016, a man rode down the escalator and kind of broke all the rules for what politics was supposed to be about. And I loved sure. watching the campaign. Um, I loved the policies. I loved what he stood for. I loved his family. Um, having a daughter like Ivanka Trump, who is so business focused and really embodied um, feminism, but also just hardworking, smart woman, I thought was a great example. And I was also just really inspired um, when the feminist movement decided to target her and grab her by the wallet, if you remember that campaign, oh, to yeah. boycott her, her brands. Um, and conservatives just fought back and they grabbed their wallet and bought all her shoes. Um, mm -hmm. And I was really bought into this, the America First movement at that point, um, and just how things were done so differently. 
in 2019, I was given the opportunity to start um, working on the campaign as the director of Women for Trump. And by the end of the campaign, I was running all of the coalitions. We had over 45 coalitions, 650 advisory board members, and it was in honor of my lifetime. Um, right after that, I was working with Brooke Rollins at the America First Policy Institute, and her, you know, her whole life has been focused on policy and power to the people and really worked the state level. So this year I had just an incredible privilege of working on several state level bills in state legislatures across the country. And then I got to meet with all of these remarkable grassroots activists for the past four years. Um, and I've, I've been asked over and over, how do we get our government to listen to us to do what we want our government right. to do? And the answer is actually really simple. We hold the power. We right. possess the essence of authority. Um, when asked what kind of government we have, then Franklin said a republic if you can keep it. And I think what our founding fathers envisioned was not just a form of government, but trust in the hands of its citizens and for us to uphold liberty, justice, self-government, self-governance. And so that's why I started writing this book is as, as you go through it, there's different sections that talk about how there's a difference between those who are elitist, um, and I call them elite ticks. So I give them a special name because they're people in power who, like ticks, leave, live by feeding off of other right. people, in this case, by the people they're supposed to be serving. Um, and I break it down into how you can take action, how you can call on Congress to secure the border, how you can call you know, on your elected representatives. We just saw this happen in the speaker's race. When the American people said, no, I don't want this to happen, they called those congressional offices. I mean, I saw the response from the American people during the past, you know, couple weeks, 22 days or so. I um, mean, it's, it's been amazing. So I think that people need to realize that we, we the people hold the power and we need to demand accountability and get involved now to save America. Outstanding. Now, Ashley Hayek, I, I see that you wrote here, or a part of the description for the book is they've been making people poorer while they get rich, taking away our jobs but never losing theirs, violating our rights while protecting their own, and putting us in danger while they remain safe and sound. And, and that's uh, such a, I think, a, a poignant statement because it's so true. And, and that's literally where we've gotten to. And, and I love the fact that you call them elitics. Uh, because they really are parasites. And, and I don't mean the Democrats per se. I mean all of that uh, establishment right. um, bureaucracy that exists, which is a, a big part of, of the problem, if not the entirety of the problem. I mean, obviously corruption and greed and, and um, you know, the, the, the fall of man is really the problem. But, but ultimately, it, it's, uh, it, it's really, really telling the book. Now, let everybody know how uh, they can get a copy of the book. Um, we have a website, beatthealites.com or on Amazon. Um, and one of the fun parts about the book is, like I said, at the end of every chapter sec section, there's a QR code. And you can scan the QR code and take action. And then all of the links are on the website. The other thing that's cool about this book is um, I have over a thousand, uh, it's over a thousand footnotes on it. So you can actually go and look at the sources of everything that's documented in here. I mean, everything is documented. So it, you can be confident when you are quoting some of the statistics in here that it is completely true. We include tweets and graphics and um, it's, it's so much fun. It's a really fun book and scorecards. 
<laughs> I, I think everybody should grab a copy or two copies, give one to a friend who could benefit from it. The book is called Beat the Elites, Five Steps to Stop the Elites and Save America. The author is Ashley Hayek. She's the executive director of America First Works. Ashley, I want to congratulate you on the book and on your success with uh, America First Works. And uh, Godspeed to you. Keep up the great work. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet. Folks, there is more to come straight ahead. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. is America. This is night. This is Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. And again, get a copy of Ashley Hayek's book, uh, BeatTheElites.com. A quick update on this shooting in Maine. There's, uh, I'm looking at some of the feeds here, and there's a lot lot of um, talk. It's all pretty much similar, though, to what we've discussed seeing one report that there's 22 dead, potentially more, 60 to 70 wounded is the estimates that are coming through um, some of the people that are on the ground there. Uh, New Hampshire State Police is helping Maine law enforcement uh, with uh, air support as they look for this guy. Uh, There's um, some reporting that says they might know the shooter's identity, but they're not releasing it just yet. And uh, I'm just looking at some, some video footage of it. There are dozens of of cops on the scene as you would imagine um you know cordoning off creating a perimeter it's uh it's, it's really it's, it's tragic to see that these things happen it really is and and of course this is going to spark it's going to spark a lot uh, a lot of uh folks on the gun control side of the argument that are going to come out and say you know you know what if he couldn't get an ar-15 if we didn't have guns in this country this would never happen and it reminded me of a caller we had last night. Really nice guy, too, by the way. I forget his name. I think his name is Ethan. I don't know where he was calling from right now. But uh, he said, you know, if we got rid of religion, we would get rid of violence. And, you know, I pointed out that, you know, there's so much violence that has nothing to do with religion. And and this is an example, same way, right? You get rid of guns, you just have more sitting ducks for the guy that gets his hand on a gun. Because guess what? You might be a law-abiding citizen that can't, uh, maybe don't know where to go on the street to buy a gun, but you can. You can buy a gun illegally. People do it all the time. People make them out of 3D printers. They make them out of plastic. There's all sorts of things people are doing. They, They like to call them ghost guns in the media. The point is, that's a real thing. And taking away your right, my right, or anybody else's right to the Second Amendment is absolute insanity. And, of course, we're going to cue the chorus of folks coming in tomorrow, you know, weapons of war, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I hate to sound crass. Of course, I feel badly for everybody that lost their life today. Um, my prayers are there with those people, with their family, with the law enforcement that's on the scene. But my prayers are with this country that we do the right thing and that we stop going backwards. Because it's my belief that an armed society is a polite society. Anyway, we're going to continue our conversation on how corrupt the media is and how they lie to us, how they help Hamas to lie to us, and so much more. So don't go anywhere. Don't move a muscle. Hour number two, coming up straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez.
live from the city that never sleeps. 17 miles from Madison Square Garden, New York City. It's America at Night with Rich Valdez, America's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across America. And now, here is your host, Rich Valdez. Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo. Happy to be here with you this Wednesday evening. Our telephone number, if you want to join the conversation, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. And we have an update on the mass murder that occurred in Lewiston, Maine. Uh, Police are believed to have zeroed in on a suspect named Robert Card uh, driving a white Subaru. And I'm not sure exactly where we're waiting a press conference on that. I'll bring that to you a little bit later. But right now we have a quick report I want you to hear. Check it out. We are monitoring this news out of Maine where law enforcement sources now are telling Fox News at this hour, 22 are now dead after a mass shooting at three separate locations. Now, we're told a possible suspect may be in custody. Uh, So what we know is three locations, a Walmart distribution center, a bar, another undisclosed location. Some have said that this one part has not been confirmed. It might be a bowling alley. And uh, again, this is three possible locations, uh, 22 victims across three locations. Uh, Nobody really knows what the motivation is just yet. Uh, We're awaiting uh, some additional information. As we get it, we'll talk to you. Uh, sometimes we get some good information from the media, and sometimes we don't get good information from the media, and especially when we look at what's going on in Israel with uh, Hamas's massive propaganda operation. And uh, it's just remarkable how so many people have been fooled. And whether it's the media that's complicit or higher education that's trained people to actually hate America and love our enemies, it's a, a big cycle. It's the um, indoctrination industrial complex, if you will. And it's a shame. And I want to talk about that a little bit uh, with somebody who knows a lot about it. He's the managing editor uh, at Newsbusters, which is part of MRC, the Media Research Center. They do amazing work. Curtis, how welcome back, sir. Hey, always a pleasure to be with you. How are you? You bet. Well, you know, it's all right. Uh, it's nighttime. I have coffee and uh, we're following the news. <laughs> and tonight the news is some of it's good. Some of it's not so good. We have a house speaker again. That's always a good thing. Uh, but mm-hmm. I, I want to dig into... Um, this stuff that's going on with uh, Hamas. There's a story that I'm looking at here uh, from the New York Post, and they're reporting that the New York Times ignored editors' calls to hedge the the Gaza hospital headline, but they ignored it. And uh, Mm -hmm. I think this is so so commonplace, lamentably, with uh, the big left-leaning media. What say you? Oh, yeah. I mean, the media, if you've paid attention to the media for really any stretch, and particularly foreign affairs, they are always going to side with Hamas. They have a beef against Israel as, you know, a thriving religious democratic institution or country, um, you know, and the fact that it is unabashedly unafraid to call out radical Islam. Um, and that's just a few issues that they have with Israel. Um, in recent years, the media have just ceased over the fact that 
Bibi Netanyahu has remained in power. Um, yeah. All sorts of labels. All the labels we're seeing about Mike Johnson, uh, you know, today were, have been thrown at Netanyahu, ultra far right, you know, far right, hard line, you know, most extreme. And the media is saying this as if it's objective fact. Um, and that we're all just supposed to agree that this is terrible. Um, so you have that as well. But you also just have uh, the media – I guess falling victim or choosing to be victims, useless idiots of a well-oiled Hamas press operation. They collude together. I mean, there was that big kerfuffle. I don't know if listeners recall that the Associated Press is Gaza Bureau was in a building that was blown up uh, because it had been uh, a Hamas hideout. And they're just like, we didn't know about this. This is so terrible. I mean, I mean, come on. Some really good reporters, right? I know there's some really good reporters. I know there's some of the best there. Um, So there's just a level of collusion. And you've seen in recent days, they all interview the same, you know, ER doctors in Gaza saying that everything's collapsing. They interview the same people who say my family is trapped because Israel's apartheid is like, you know, going to kill us all. Um you know, they all interview kind of the same sorts of people. It's a well-oiled PR machine um, that, you know, everybody should take some notes on because, I mean, it's pretty sophisticated and it's tried and true. And the news media, despite admitting that, you know, the death tolls are dubious uh, from Hamas, they still treat them as gospel anyway, basically saying, well, even if it's not even close to that, it's still pretty devastating. So, you know, what is Israel's problem here? Um, so there's just a number of layers to this story, all of which is to say that the media are just a bunch of partisan hacks, which is really the case with a lot of other stories that, you know, you talk about. Yeah. And I, I think you, you raise a good point that I think oftentimes, um, the media portrays Hamas as a, a bunch of like angry villagers that are upset about their land being stolen from them. So they decide to you know, throw rocks and make small bombs and, and, you know, they're using slingshots. Or how could you hurt them? Cause these are just little kids, you know, more than half of Gaza is just like children. Yeah. And that's the point I'm making is that, you know, when you point out how sophisticated their propaganda operation is, they really do have a level of sophistication. They have um, big um, state sponsors like Iran. And it's, I feel like this gets underreported. Do you agree? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, for sure. I mean, they'll just kind of admit to some of these things. They'll kind of just toss it aside. That, oh, yeah, 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 right, right, right. Hamas uses people as human shields. Right, 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 right. They, they've taken up shopping hospitals. Right, right, right. But they don't really, you know, they kind of gloss over it. They kind of rush over it. And you say, no, 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 hold on a second. Back up, dummies. This is the important point. It's like a kid who writes a paper and hides the thesis in the middle of, like, you know, the first sentence. No, the thesis, when you write a five-paragraph essay, it's supposed to be at the end of the last sentence. You, it's all completely out of order. Your, your priorities are misplaced here, everyone. Um, and, and that's what you see the media do, and that's what I've been seeing the media do in the broadcast networks, is um, they just refuse to show a level of skepticism. Like today, the IDF pointing out that, oh my gosh, yes, look at this, surveillance or aerial footage of tankers full of, or, uh, you know, fuel depots full of fuel. 
that Hamas has been using to launch rockets. They could very easily turn them on over to uh, the hospitals. We know Gaza is a very small area. We've been hearing nothing about nothing but that for weeks now. Um, but CBS Evening News was like, we haven't been able to verify that. But yet when it comes to the Hamas Health Ministry's death tally, they were the network that I mentioned earlier that just says, well, regardless of how many people have died, it's still tragic. So you give more credence to what Hamas says versus aerial foot images from the IDF. And that just shows who you're more willing to trust. And the media acts like they're just these uh, morality judges, judge and jury of what's moral and true. Like they don't really understand. They choose not to understand how war works. That's the other point. I think there is also something to be said for, you know, if, whether you're a conservative or liberal or whatever you want to call yourself. If you have a job to report, uh, ideally, I think you should you should say, OK, Hamas says that you blew up their hospital. Um, what do you say? <laughs> and I feel like that doesn't right. even happen. <laughs> they just go, Hamas said they blew up the hospital. Here we go. And I'm looking at one of the stories on Newsbusters.org. Great website, by the way. And it says NPR is still holding out hope that Hamas's faked hospital story is real. And it's just it, it's kind of like they're showing you their true colors. You know, they're hoping that there's some way that they could finagle this into them not being wrong. Right. I, yeah. I mean, the hospital story in and of itself is just an absolute trip and uh, how they just completely just took the line and they refused to really offer any sort of corrections. This is the thing that. You know, the Brian Stelters and Jim Acosta's the world would would say for years and years under President Trump. Well, when we get things wrong, we correct them. Oh, do you, though? Do you? <laughs> you know, I mean, the New York Times kind of offered that mea culpa that, like, we should have been more careful. Oops. Uh, editor's note the other day. But other than that, you're not really seeing these on-air corrections. They're just uh, moving right along as if they had played no role in fomenting this literal and physical literal and rhetorical mob uh you know that that's really just been out there it's a shame folks we're on with curtis Houck. he's the uh, managing editor at newsbusters.org and we're going to continue our discussion on the media because the media got a couple of boos today in congress uh for doing what they do best which is not reporting the truth sadly Anyway, we're going to get into that straight ahead, uh, plus your calls and more, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Valdez. Oh, God. 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 Oh, God
All right, so that's the um, the sound of it was kind of hard to make out, but that's uh, ABC's Rachel Soto at a press conference, and she got booed for telling Mike Johnson he helped to overturn the 2020 election. Uh, the reporter saying you helped lead the effort to overturn the 2020 election results. Do you and Republican members of Congress, including Virginia Fox, uh, started booing, saying "Shut up!" Next question. <laughs> <laughs> which I wish you could have heard it. It sounds, it, it's great. I was glory, uh, but it didn't stop there. It continued. Uh, CNN's John King says that the Republican party as a whole is anti-democratic and anti-free press for booing ABC's Rachel Scott. Listen to this. That one Congresswoman Fox said, shut up. <laughs> right. Yes. Like, shut up. It, yes. It's, it's anti-democratic. Yes. They are anti-democratic. They simply are. That's a fact. Uh, and they're anti-free press speech. They're anti-question. They don't like questions that they don't like. They don't want to answer questions that they don't like. Well, sorry. Uh, welcome to America. That's the great charm of the American experiment uh, that we ask questions, that people get to ask these questions. So that's John King. And I, I got to say, that's it's a really rich statement that he makes saying they don't want to answer the questions they don't want to answer when uh, you have a president who doesn't even show up for, for press conferences, barely. Uh, but I want to get uh, Curtis Houck's reaction to this. Curtis Houck is with us. He's managing editor of Newsbusters. Curtis, what do you um, what do you make of that comment from John King? I mean, it's just so pathetic. This is a guy who was kicked out of inside politics. My boss, Tim Graham, thinks it was because he was a DEI casualty. Uh, we need more women, more non-old white guys who are seen to be CNN hosts. So, you know, off you go. We're going to make your ex-wife the host in Dana Bash. Um, <laughs> but his project is interviewing voters and trying to understand voters. And what he's doing here is showing nothing but pure hatred for half the country. And this goes back to CNN's arrogance that we saw for years and years and years, Rich, during the Trump years, where the media would say something like this. And they would get all high and mighty and puff their chest as if to say, we are the American people. We are America. We are the First Amendment. And if you criticize us, that means you must want us dead or something and you're going to get us killed. And to that, I say, well, we all have First Amendment rights and free speech rights, and we have a First Amendment right to say you suck. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's so funny. It reminds me of Dr. Fauci saying, I am the science, right? It's, it's this. Uh, yeah, it's Dr. Leaders. Palpatine in Star Wars saying, I am the Senate. And you're like, oh, please. Yeah, the arrogance. Exactly. Yeah, so I, I find this funny because they, they seem to take such offense you know, people make fun of me all the time. People say, oh, you're a right wing this, you're that, you're, I, I get all sorts of criticism and I laugh at most of it. Every now and again, I might fire back at somebody, but it's kind of part right. of the job. And I, I don't understand how these guys that make way more money than I do. Uh, what do they, what do they care? Right. It's, it's, you know, they get right. booed and they're like, oh my gosh, it's the end of the world. Come on. Not everybody's going to like your reporting. You're a reporter. That's how it is sometimes. What, why do you think there's such a, a sense of self with, 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 taking offense to to being booed they have such thin skins like i mean i've been at this for just about a decade and i've been a media nerd since i was like i don't know 12 years old younger mm -hmm. than that and i would have to say that this is the thing that's always struck me yes you hear about politicians having egos but man i gotta argue that maybe journalists have bigger egos because any sort of outside criticism, they completely lose their minds. There's a reason that they're okay with people like Brian Stelter critiquing them or Oliver Darcy or the Columbia Journalism Review 
you know, David Falkenflick at NPR and those kinds of people, it's because they're going to kiss their behinds the whole time because their idea of media criticism is attacking Fox News and just saying, you know, big, I guess, or the media is not being liberal enough. You know, it's the Eric Alterman approach of like, what liberal media? Um, that's why they are the way they are. And it's clear that, you know, Mike Johnson, you know, whatever people may think of him, he's already starting off on a good foot because it's clear that ABC News' Rachel Scott hates his guts because he embarrassed <laughs> her uh, by the conference just booing her. And he's repeatedly ignored her questions. So she decided tonight on World News uh, tonight to just label him a hard right uh, conservative. And she went down all these lists. She's against the reauthorization of the Violence Against Women Act. And, uh, you know, he's staunchly anti-abortion. And she just goes down this laundry list of liberal causes that he's, like, not in line with her on. Um, And afterward, David Muir just was like, she's asking telling her she asked the tough questions and you'll continue to do that and we support you it's as if she went through some like traumatic experience or something (laughs) like she was held hostage by someone and like like we're so glad you're okay i mean i mean they literally are like the reno 911 meme where it was like i was murdered (laughs) where the person's just laying there i love that curtis hawk with about a minute to go uh, I, I, I don't see this changing. It, to me, it seems like we're just producing more and more of these pseudo-journalists. Uh, do you, do mm-hmm. you think that the declining numbers and revenues, uh, CNN Plus failing and, and CNN's numbers going down, uh, do you think that that's going to change and people are going to become more effective in their journalism, or are we just screwed? <laughs> well, I would say we're just screwed because they're otherwise just going to keep doing their thing, but I, the reason I don't think so is because thanks to the Internet, Regardless of the level of censorship big tech may impress upon us and force on us, you know, we have the Internet, we have social media that allows people to do their own journalism, to do their own work and take in a variety of news sources, which is why I always say social media uh, in the Internet in terms of the news business is always going to be a net positive. And let everybody know how they could uh, keep up to speed with the work you're doing at Newsbusters. Yeah, sure. Newsbusters.org uh, is the website. Newsbusters on Twitter. I'm at Curtis Houck on Twitter. Curtis Houck, I think, underscore on Instagram. Um, and we are at Media Research Center on Instagram. Outstanding, brother. Well, keep up the good work. Keep fighting the good fight. I appreciate it. No problem. Take care. Yes, sir. All right, folks, there's more to come straight ahead. We're going to have a conversation about why so many people are calling out sick to work. And most of them saying, I just didn't feel like going to work. Why don't Americans want to work? We're going to find out straight ahead. I'm Rich Valdez. call screener, who is a budding radio star, by the way. Richie Valdez is terrific. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. I want to talk about employment a little bit. 
uh, because uh, there's a, a bunch of news stories on that. But one of the things that, that I'm looking at here in uh, Fox News is that Maine, we've been talking about Maine and the shooting, and in a couple of minutes we're going to go to the to the uh, press conference that's scheduled to begin. But um, Maine is now requesting a federal waiver to allow employment for asylum seekers. Portland, Maine has received over 1,600 asylum-seeking illegal immigrants so far this year. And the Department of Labor is asking the federal government to, to waive their, uh, their ability to, to take more while they're, so they could work while they're waiting for their cases to be heard. Isn't that something? That's like, hey, look, um, I'm scheduled to drive when I turn 17, but I'd like a waiver so I could drive when I'm 15. It's just, it's just crazy the way things work. Uh, I get it. Uh, they, you know, they, they want people to be able to work. The problem with that is the next step is a license, and then from the license, they might be able to vote. And that would be a problem of epic proportion. But uh, the governor in uh, Maine, her name Janet Mills, she's a Democrat, she signed this bill in May directing the labor commissioner to seek the waiver as a resource in order to house the strained uh, illegal immigrants that are now coming into her state. And Portland, Maine, their largest city, has received more than 1,600 asylum seekers. Now, of course, that pales in comparison to the you know, the boatload that they're getting in New York and other cities. But that's exactly where we are. And there is no provision in the federal law for such a waiver to be granted. But, of course, you know, like any other crazy idea that comes from the left, there's now growing support for ideas like issuing waivers. Uh, it's funny how they, they paint it as a waiver. You know, so it sounds like, oh, it's just a waiver. You know, it's not a violation of federal law or skirting the system or going around things. It's literally a waiver unbelievable now we've been talking about maine here with the asylum seekers but we have an update from the press conference on the shooting where 22 people were murdered by a psycho and uh let's go to that uh there's no disrespect intended in that um, feel free to ask a couple, and if I think we can get there, uh, then I'm happy to answer those. If not, uh, we do have work to do on behalf of our communities, and that's our primary focus uh, this evening. There are many specific figures about casualties out Thanks. there. The sheriff, the sheriff Sampson, told me up as many as 20. Uh, I just wanted to give you the opportunity to set the record straight on that. Yeah, I, I do appreciate that, and I know that there's been a lot of numbers out there. Uh, this is a very fluid situation. So the last thing I want to come up is give you a number and then three hours from now I'll change that in one direction or another. Uh, so I don't have firm numbers on that. Uh, and when I do, we'll be happy to share those uh, with you because it's an important piece of healing and it's an important piece of information for all of us to be aware of. Um, but I don't have a firm number on that. But at least 16, right? I think I just answered that question to say that I'm not going to give you any specific numbers. Um, and there's been a lot of numbers all over the map uh, all evening. And I don't think that that's helpful um, because it doesn't help family members. It certainly doesn't help the community to see, well, they just said this and they said that. Um, so if you want accurate information, I'm prepared to give that to you when I have it. Uh, I don't have that right now. Does the suspect have any known criminal history with law enforcement? Is he, is he someone who's been on the radar of, of state police or local police, to your knowledge? Well, Mr. Card, who we're speaking about right now, is a person of interest and a person of interest only, right? I'm not listing him as a suspect at this point, um, and we're not prepared to go into his background or anything else that we may be aware of. One more question. 
You're looking for one shooter, correct? We're looking for this person of interest right now, and uh, and that's what we'll label, uh, enlist, and speak about uh, at this particular moment. When we have additional information, I'm happy to share that. No, so thank you very much. I appreciate that. Uh, again, thank you for your time. And I know uh, Assistant City Manager uh, O'Malley will make uh, arrangements, I think, to move everybody out of the building. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. All right. The manhunt continues for Robert Card, who is considered to be armed and dangerous. As you just heard, he's a person of interest in the mass murder that occurred earlier in Maine this evening, uh, murdering 22 people and injuring uh, some some reports are saying uh, approximately 70 more. Uh, Mike Sauscheck, who is the public safety commissioner uh, in Lewiston, he says that he's not going to give out any numbers on these casualties as of yet because families haven't been notified. And that was pretty much what we had. There weren't there's still not a lot of information out there. Uh, other than they now are looking for Robert Card, who's still not even considered a suspect, who's basically uh, being considered a person of interest as they uh, continue to zero in on him. So we'll keep you up to speed on that. And, uh, you know, it's these things are horrible. You know, nobody, I, I never like talking about this stuff, if I'm being frank. I, I really I don't I don't enjoy it. There's it's hard to make fun of this. It's not like talking about Joe Biden where you can make a joke or three. You can't really joke around with this stuff. It's horrible news. And then, of course, it, the onslaught of calls to disarm everybody comes after something like this. And it, it's shameful. And, you know, I think the, the real conversation really ought to be on mental health. And I know we hear that a lot, and, and there's a lot of ways of looking at that. But whether you're a school shooter, whether you're a mass murderer, whether you, you're whatever your issue is, I think we, we've been around long enough to know that there are certain things that impact people, and some people go a lot further than others. Some people become drug addicts or alcoholics or, or abusive to, to people in their lives as a result of certain traumas that they go through as young people. And, you know, you, if you've taken one psychology course in college, um, you, you've learned a lot about that, right? It's always about healing the inner child and... and um, uh, what's his name, Carl Jung and his his philosophy. And he's not, not right on everything, but there's a few things that make sense. And it's funny how we've got schools, school boards, teachers' unions, the federal government. Uh, everybody's involved with telling you how to raise your kid, right? If your kid's four years old and he wants to wear his sister's dress, well, then hold on, he must be identifying as a, as a girl. And you got to make him a girl. And you got to stop the testosterone before he hits puberty, you've got to give him puberty blockers. You've got to do X. You've got to do Y. You've got to do Z. And yet we know about other problems, emotional problems, things that really hurt people. You know, people that uh, grew up and were molested by an uncle or, or a coach or whatever. And we know what hurts people. And these, are, these things are not as, as um, few and far between as many think. This is... Uh, pretty common knowledge that people go through things in life and we know that they go through things, right? I'm going to make the provocative statement. Having been a, a formerly obese person, um, people eat because of some sort of issue, right? Well, whatever it was for me, I ate a lot and I didn't even know why I ate so much. I just, I loved fast food and I loved eating and it turned out that I was eating things that produced dopamine. Uh, so I was eating like some people smoke cigarettes People smoke cigarettes and they get a dopamine fix. And, and the reason I was doing that was because 
I didn't know that I had ADHD and needed these dopamine fixes. And it felt like the right thing to do to have Burger King for lunch and McDonald's for dinner and maybe a White Castle as a snack, right? It, it sounds crazy today. But when I was doing that for years on end, uh, it seemed normal. And it's, it seemed normal because we don't put any emphasis on mental health or even physical health, really. Uh, you know, it's, oh, if, you're, if you have this disease or that disease, try this, try that. I look at so many of the things that we could potentially fix in life and or prevent. And, you know, my work in state government uh, for, for most of the time I was there was in something called the Division of Prevention, which later became the Division of, of Family and Community Partnerships. But the idea was to prevent uh, abuse and neglect of, of children. And I did some work, you know, some political work as well to advance the administration's agenda. But ultimately, they knew what was going on and how people ended up abusing and neglecting their kids. And we had those, that, that kind of rubric. So we knew if we could prevent this, if we could prevent that, if we could stop this here or at this point, we could prevent incidences of abuse and neglect. And again, is it always the government's job to do that? Um, I would say maybe not always. I think it's the community's job. And that was kind of the, the role I was in was to engage the community to, to be better equipped to deal with those issues. But when you look at something like this, and again, I don't know if this guy has a gripe. I don't know if this guy, you know, he went to three different places that were relatively close uh, in, in proximity and started murdering people. Clearly, this guy is nuts. And we can't always fix nuts and you can't always predict nuts, right? People that are psychos are psychos. But I think there should be an effort to try and help people that are nuts and say, look, you're not alone. You can do this. And of course, there's 988 uh, you know, if you want to kill yourself. But I think there's just not enough emphasis. And, and of course, and it's not even about money. I'm not saying that we need to fund these mental health programs. We just have to put an emphasis on it, which is why if you listen to this program, I talk to politicians, we talk to some entertainers, but almost once or twice a week, we bring in some sort of shrink, right? I bring in a psychologist, somebody who can uh, give advice on relationships and things of that nature. And the reason I do that is because I think it's so important for people to work on things that in reality are simple, not easy to do, but simple in concept. Not always easy, but the idea is simple. You work through these issues. And again, maybe I'm oversimplifying or looking at this the wrong way, but I'd love to get your take on this, on, on all of that, everything we've discussed. So give me a call. 833-482-5337. 833-4VALDES is the phone number. And, of course, if you're a first-time caller, you move right to the front of the line. If you disagree with me on something, you, you move to the front of the line. And, of course, if you're a regular, happy to hear from you. And, as always, we're going to have Open Phone America at the top of the next hour. But I, I want to get your take on this because I think it's a, an interesting thing. Maybe, maybe it's me being utopian, thinking that we can help people from a mental health perspective if we put more effort into it. I don't know. You let me know if I'm right or wrong. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S.
Well, Mr. Valdez, you have one of the greatest shows that radio has ever had. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Police are currently searching for a Robert R. Card, 4-4 of 1983 of Bowdoin. Card is considered armed and dangerous. He is a person of interest, however, and that's what we'll uh, label him at uh, moving forward until that changes. If people see him, they should not approach Card or make contact with him in any way. Uh, the shelter-in-place order that currently stands in Lewiston remains. Uh, a vehicle, which was a vehicle of interest in this incident, was located in Lisbon, and we are now also asking residents in Lisbon to shelter in place. So please share that information uh, with communities as well. All right, that's police updating us on what's going on with the search for the person of interest, Robert Card. And my question to the audience was, obviously this man is a is a murderous person who's evil, right? He's a whack job, he's a psycho. Allegedly, I'm supposed to say. Um, however, my, my question is, you know, tomorrow we'll have discussion on why we shouldn't have guns. And we'll have discussion on we're not doing enough with mental health. And, and I'm one of those people. But but my, my angle here is we already know what sets people off. We already know things. And we don't do a whole lot there. I haven't seen the Biden administration or anybody else come out and say, you know, we, we want to help people. We want to provide, uh, I don't know, therapy. We want to provide whatever. It seems like it's an afterthought. It's, it's not easy. Uh, it, it's not, it's, it's easier to get a condom in high school. It's easier to get an abortion. It's easier to, I don't know, whatever else, it's easier to have a sex change, you know, than, than it is to find that level of support. You see troops coming back from a different, um, uh, theaters of, of battle. And they come back with a lot of baggage, uh, a lot to discuss, a lot to work through. And you constantly hear that they don't have enough funding. And not just the VA. I'm just saying generally our, our healthcare system is focused on, you know, take this vaccine and do this. But nobody's focusing on people that are emotionally damaged. And this isn't anything new. We already know how this works, right? You need a father in the home and you need parents that love their kids. And if we if we know that that's the formula to, to create a somewhat uh, stable and confident person, why? Do we not do that? Why is there not an emphasis on that? Let's go to the phones, 833-4-VALDEZ. Let's go to Wadsworth, Ohio, WNIR, and check in with Connie. Hi, Connie, you're on with Rich Valdez. Go right ahead. Hi, Rich. You've hit the nail on the head about the effects that something that happens to you or that you witness or live through as a child and how that manifests itself as an adult. My comparison is I grew up not, not, I never saw any kind of violence or anything between my parents. The man that I married grew up thinking that that was normal. And the first time that he went off on me and slammed me against the wall, I was like, are you crazy? My eight-year-old brother knows better than to do something like this. So Mm -hmm. when something terrible happens to you as a child, whatever the circumstances, unless you deal with that or someone cares enough to talk to you about it and and get that out, it's going to come out. You think that's normal, and it's not. 
I think that's an excellent point. And, and, and that's exactly it. That's what they see. That's what they know. And, and this is what I'm saying. It's maybe we should have, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up seeing commercials uh, cracking an egg and the egg would fry and say, this is your brain. This is your brain on drugs. Right? It was real simple. But there were public service announcements about, you know, don't do drugs. It fries your brain. And it seems like none of that is going on with regards to depression, anxiety. Everywhere you turn, every teenager in America has depression and anxiety. And I'm not saying it's false. I'm saying it's real, uh, especially those that went through the lockdown that were 14, 15, 16 during that time, didn't even have a social outlet in school. And lamentably, we don't do anything or we don't do enough, in my opinion, uh, to, to, to help that situation. So we're going to continue on this topic and taking your calls. Um, I guess I have to take a break right here, but we're coming right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. So we're talking about mental health. Why aren't we as a society, we as a government, we as a people doing more to stop the the crazy when we know what it is that kind of sets people off? Let's go to Edward calling from Tampa, Florida, listening online to Rich Valdez, America at night dot com. Edward, go right ahead. Yeah, Rich, this is one of my favorite topics, especially after COVID. Let me tell you here, uh, society is so much rely, rely on, on technology. I mean, everything from people, one in four are lonely, uh, they're having less kids. You can even tie this to um, intelligence, uh, what happened over there overseas. But all these governments, and even us regular people, are so addicted with technology that we forgot how to communicate with people. Yeah, uh, that's a good point. Uh, I, don't, I don't mean to cut you off, but the music means I got to go. But I think you're right. We've kind of gotten caught into thinking we can have a life in our phone, in our tablet, in our computer, and we don't talk to our neighbor anymore, and we ride elevators with strangers, and we don't even talk to them. It's kind of weird. Uh, anyway, we're going to discuss that, and we're going to continue with this conversation straight ahead. Edward, thanks for the call. Folks, Open Phone America starts right now. If you're on hold, stay right there. Coming right back. city that never sleeps 17 miles from madison square garden new york city it's america at night with rich valdez america's favorite late night talk program featuring interesting guests from around the world and calls from across america and now here is your host rich valdez Hi there, good evening, and what's up, America? I am Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media, your liberty-loving Latino amigo, happy to be here with you. 
on this Wednesday evening. If you want to join our late-night national town hall conversation, give me a call, 833-482-5337, 833-4-VALDES. And we have a new House Speaker, uh, Mike Johnson, congressman from Louisiana, is now um, sworn in. He's the guy. He is the Speaker of the House. Congratulations to him. Uh, we've had some conversations about uh, the funny business in the media. We've talked about the Speaker's race, and we're talking about this shooting mass uh mass shooting it's a mass murder by a crazy person and uh there's a report on nbc news website by daniel arkin and jason abruzzi uh, and i'm going to read this to you main law enforcement officials said late tonight that they're looking for a 40 year old man named robert card whom they identified as a person of interest in the fatal shootings at a bar and bowling alley in lewiston lewiston maine a bulletin put out by Maine Information and Analysis Center, a database for law enforcement officials, said that Card was a trained firearms instructor and was believed to be in the Army Reserve. It added that law enforcement said Card recently reported mental health issues, including hearing voices and threats to shoot up the National Guard base in Saco, Maine. The bulletin said that Card was reported to have been committed to a mental health facility for two weeks this summer and was released. NBC News has not been able to independently verify the bulletin's statements about Card's history. And this has been my question for the last segment or so. Um, We know what sets people off, right? And in a situation like this, when you're hearing voices... It's typically uh, schizophrenia and, and, you know, some deeper form of mental illness. We need to work on that, right? I think there there needs to be a collective effort. And listen, I'm not a collectivist by any means, but I do believe in taking care of your fellow man. And I feel like we've gotten to a place in society where we ignore people. We ignore their mental health challenges. Um, Oftentimes for years, people have written off many types of mental health uh, as in, you know, no, you're not this, you're just lazy, or you're not that, you're just making stuff up, and or you're victimizing yourself, or whatever the case may be. And I, I guess that's a debate that we can have another day. But ultimately, I think we know what screws people up for the most part. You know, sometimes it's uh, some sort of trauma in early childhood or even in adulthood. Um, parenting, those types of things. These are, these are pretty common things that can ruin people's lives. And we don't deal with them appropriately. And and I think we should. And I've been taking your calls on that topic, and I want to continue to take your calls on that. I want to go to Jim in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Uh, Jim on K-O-B-E. Welcome to the program, sir. Hi, Rich. Um, I, the thing is, uh, there was a mass shooting near me across the border in Texas about a year ago. I evolved the Vivaldi, I can't remember the name. Yeah, Uvalde, Texas. A lot sure. of, yeah, a lot of children were murdered. And it was very sad. But what, and I tried to follow the story when it came out, but the shooter was a uh, an 18-year-old ne'er-do-well, yet somehow he managed to c- scratch together the money to buy a very expensive, I get uh, possibly an AR-15, I don't know what the weapon was, but the, the ammunition alone would have cost an arm and a leg. Now, where did he get the money to do that? And every time these stories come out, I think of MK Ultra. Do you know what MK Ultra is? Sure. Yeah. Back in the fifties, it was um, 
um, a set of experiments using LSD from, I think it was uh, Stanford University, and uh, they kind of programmed people's heads to um, to do different types of crazy things. It was funded by the CIA, and they say they've disbanded it, and it's not a thing anymore. But um, I, I found it crazy when I learned about it years ago that that was even a thing. Well, you know, how do, you know, of course we can, we can trust everything the CIA says. Why would they <laughs> right. ever lie to us? So I guess, you know, my concern is silly, but. Uh, no, I know. And you know what? Actually, I think this particular situation, based on what we just heard, that this guy was hearing voices and, and the voices were telling him to go shoot up a, a, a National Guard armory or whatever, uh, that fits, right? It fits with the the M.O. of the MK Ultra experiments uh, that Stanford did and, and other universities, um, you know, continued. Even in Canada, they did some of that research. I don't I can't say that that's the case. But if they were doing that back in the 50s and 60s, uh, I can only imagine how much better they're at it today if they were still doing that. So uh, I, I don't think it's a, a point that's null and void. I think it's a point that people often will write off and say, no, that's a conspiracy theory. Put your tinfoil hat back on like anything else that people don't want to address and talk about. They just say it's fake. It's phony. It's fraud. And they move on. I, I say that things are fake, phony and fraud all the time, but I'm always happy to have a debate about it because we, we need to talk through these things. No. Yes. Well, okay. And instead of talking about the speaker's race, we're talking about this. Do you want to talk about the speaker's race? He seems to be trying to change the subject. So I, ah, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me tell you, that went through my head as well. I was, But again, from a selfish perspective, where I, during the breaks, I'm telling these guys, I'm like, all right, so finally we have a speaker. Are we going to go back to the, the war in the Middle East? Uh, I, I almost missed talking about Ukraine. <laughs> I, I'm always looking for something new to talk about. And uh, lamentably, this is a horrible situation, of course. Uh, but it, it's still an interesting topic. And I think this angle that, that we're discussing now with uh, the focus on on mental health is one that we really need to uh, to to look at. Uh, I think it's, it's worthy of a conversation. And I appreciate you, you adding your two cents, Jim. I appreciate it. Uh, let's continue. Let us go to uh, let's see. Where did I want to go here? Uh, we got Wisconsin, Brooklyn, New York, Michigan. Who was on the line first? Let's go to Anne, Lacrosse, Wisconsin, WIZM. Go right ahead. Good evening, uh, Rich. You're looking you're looking great tonight. Well, thank you. You too, Anne. Is that thank you? Is that a new outfit you've got on? Yes, yes, brand new. Uh, it's it's Michael Kors. It accents the color of your hair follicles. <laughs> thank you. And what's on your mind tonight, Ann? So, um, two things. Um, we had some rain here today, so I got to be careful when it rains for health reasons because uh, sugar melts, and I'm sugar and spice and everything nice. <laughs> and then I might use that one day. You, and then earlier you were uh, had a discussion about um, thin-skinned people and thick-skinned and and um, people disagreeing with one another and shouting or booing or whatever. So oh, yeah, the media. The media being very thin-skinned. So there's actually three kinds of people on this earth, Rich. And there are those that always look like they're smelling something funny. And then there are those that look like they found it. 
And then there's us. We smile once in a while. I'm part of the smiling crew, for sure. For sure. What do you, what do you think about the thin-skinned uh, folks in the media that couldn't handle getting booed by uh, members of Congress? Well, they're one of those people. They're in the kind that uh, are always uh, looking like they smell something funny, and they really can't do anything about it. It's just their nature. People are that way and there's not much you can do about it. So you just accept it and move on because uh, to argue with someone like that, um, you're, you're hitting your head against the wall. So the, it's just the way life is. We Same thing like in a courthouse, you've got the prosecutor who says the guy is guilty, and then you have a def, uh, the defending lawyer who says he's innocent. And, I mean, the two will go to uh, – like toe to toe on on that same topic. I mean, it's almost as clear as day as the guy killed his wife, but one says he didn't. The other one, he'll claim and swear that he didn't. Try to right. It's a people. it's a back and forth that kind of never ends because people see things differently, and and I get that. I, I mean, it's it's basically what we deal with. What I deal with here on the radio every day, whether it's with callers or even news reports, you'll see one agency report it one way and one report it another way, and I think ultimately it comes down to worldview, how you see the world and whether they have one of those faces that you mentioned, like the permanent scowl or the permanent smile, one or the other. And thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Big shout out to everybody in La Crosse, Wisconsin on WIZM. Let us continue. I want to go to a break and then we're going to come right back. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. Familia, welcome back. America, we're talking about mental health. We're talking about the speaker's race that's finally come to an end and everything else that we've discussed tonight with uh, the, the war in the Middle East and the fake phony fraud reporting. And uh, we've had some talk about, you know, is this MK Ultra and was this designed to uh, shift the media attention? I tell you, there's a lot, of, a lot to discuss here. Anyway, let's continue with your calls. Let's go to Andrew in Sebring, Florida, WWTK. Andrew, go right ahead. That MK Ultra thing, that really touches uh, with me because I truly believe that us 80s kids were completely programmed with that stuff, with the movies, the music we listened to, all these things. So many things were there to just lead us astray. And you know, I know for a fact, I, for one, fell for it line and sinker and i believe it does still go on these days if you go into a club and there's certain songs that will play and certain tones that will play and you will see people just completely change and it's 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 eye-opening when you see it for yourself you know it's not a conspiracy yet 
That's that's real stuff. They know how to play on us. Musicians have been doing it for eons now. I agree with you, bro. I think it's uh, it's it's one of those things that is kind of like, you know, it. it we know this technology exists. We have no way of proving that it exists, but we see these things that are kind of inexplicable. Now, as far as the music and all that, I mean, I was born in 78. I probably listened to a lot of the same music as you. Uh, when I hear music, it brings me back to a time where I just remember the feeling of the time. So if it's in an old rap song, I remember hanging out with my boys, that type of thing. And it's usually happy. Um, but I could see how this could affect certain people. And, and there's a lot of talk about, you know, they started these experiments with LSD, but they feel that maybe it's some of the other um, psychotropic drugs that people use that make them more susceptible to falling into this MK Ultra type of um, process. I don't know the answer, but excellent point. I appreciate it, Andrew. In Sebring, Florida, WWTK, big shout out to everybody in Florida tonight. And uh, we continue with our journey across America. <clears throat> Let's see. Where do we go here? Let's go down to Arkansas, uh, Salem, Arkansas. We're going to connect with Joe, who's listening on KSAR out of Montana. Go right ahead. Missouri, excuse me. Uh, hey, hey, Rich, uh, you said out of Montana. Missouri. Oh, no, I'm in Salem, Arkansas. Okay. It says here that you're listening on KSAR. No problem. Go right ahead. Anyway, uh, yeah, I believe it was uh, the end of the uh, second hour you had Edward on, and <clears throat> I agree with him. Communications, technology, along with a lot of other things, and we've become a matriarchal society. Uh, my, my my marriage ended in divorce after 30 years and, ra and trying to raise six kids, but, uh, you know, the ex-wife, she went through all this permissiveness, and your children, when they get t to be teenagers, uh, they're your friend. You know, my mm -hmm. parents never they never called me their friend. I mean, as a grown man, they still said, you're my child, and you're going to listen to me. But uh, the, the fathers then, you get the divorce, uh, the kids go the permissive way, and the attorneys talk them into it, and full custody to the, uh, to the mother. Now, in Arkansas, they passed a statute in which uh, it's automatic joint custody down here, unless you can really put up some good reasons why that father shouldn't have them half the time. But uh, good. bottom line is uh, they're not going to love, honor, and obey when the wife doesn't love, honor, and obey, and, uh, and your kids are going to have problems. Um, so far, so good. My kids haven't become mass shooters, you know, but uh, that's where that comes from. No discipline from father knows best. I can't disagree with you, Joe. I think you're 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 right. I think we see um, countless situations where uh, no father in the home leads to to a lot of a lot of different issues. And I would venture to say, anytime there's not two parents in the home, because even a single dad, uh, you know, I I, I raised my kids um, in a co-parenting fashion after being married for ten years, and and I think they're okay. They go through things and, and life in my opinion, would probably have been better had they lived most of their young adult life uh, with two parents uh, rather than two parents co-parenting. You try to make the best of a difficult situation. But I think you're right that it's important that you do that. I think the Arkansas law should be applauded. Um, I, I did everything I could to make sure I had my kids. I think my number was 43% of the time. 
And uh, and that was a lot compared to other guys that had gone through divorce. And I think the, the default, at least in, in New Jersey, where uh, I was divorced, was something like you automatically revert to something like 10 or 12 or 14 percent at a time, which is two two overnights uh, twice a month. So four overnights a month, which in effect puts you in a position exactly what you're saying where you don't have this ability. Now, the other thing you mentioned I thought was interesting was I just earlier today had a conversation uh, with somebody. Um, interesting that you mentioned that where I, I, I for years I've when I've had to discuss things with my kids and you want to have a good relationship. And I think I have a great relationship with my kids. But interestingly, I've always found myself saying, listen, I'm your father. I'm not your friend. And as much as it's you want to be your kid's friend, and you can be, you can have a good relationship, but it's the relationship of a father, right? And there really is only one father. I, in my opinion, that's just how that works. Um, if if you're not doing your job as a father, that job's not getting done. Some people are fortunate that maybe they remarry, they have a great uh, new husband, and some kids get a great stepdad, and that's great. Uh, but that's not the case for most. And I think it, fathers have to do their jobs Moms have to do their jobs and, and provide the most safe and secure and stable environment to raise happy, healthy, emotionally stable kids that go on to do the right thing in life. And when that doesn't happen, we see a lot of what we're seeing today. And uh, to me, it always comes back to the family. If you keep the family intact and you do the right thing, you're going to have kids that are better off. Of course, somebody's going to call me now and say, oh, we did this, we did that, and our kid went, you left. I'm sure that happens. But it's it's the exception. It's not the rule. We continue with the rest of your calls straight ahead. We've got calls from all over Montana, Chicago, South Dakota, Michigan, New York City, and more coming in right now. 833-4-VALDEZ, 833-482-5337. Don't go anywhere. We're, we're only halfway through this hour. It's Open Phone America with me, Rich Valdez. searching for a Robert R. Card, 4-4 of 1983 of Bowdoin. Card is considered armed and dangerous. He is a person of interest, however, and that's what we'll uh, label him at uh, moving forward. Again, they're looking for Robert Card, psycho mass murderer who's murdered 22 people uh, earlier tonight and injured, they say, dozens more, allegedly. And... Uh, we've got a caller, Allison, Portland, Maine, WLOB, lives uh, approximately 35 miles from the shooting. Allison, what's going on? I mean, it's crazy. I mean, it's even getting up to the wilds of Maine. And, you know, the thing is, this is a, a, a state with, a, you know, a, a lot of guns and things, but that's obviously not the problem. You know, people, usually we don't have this sort of thing. It, it, it's just it's very, very rare. I can't think of another incident like this ever, in fact, you know, right? Certainly not with this uh, number of people killed. 
um, you know, um, it's pretty crazy. Um, the thing is, too, you know, but the thing is, people always will immediately start to say, got to take away everything from everybody. I don't think it's going to happen up here, even though we have a very liberal governor and everything. But um, it's another, you know, my attitude is kind of, I've had a very kind of hard scrabble life, as you kind of know a little bit of it. And, um, you know, uh, I think that people should need to get stronger and be, I, I wish there were more guards. I wish there were more people who would conceal carry. Um, you know, in Me fact, this, this, is a constitution, this is a constitutional carry state, so people don't even need a permit as long as they're not a criminal and stuff. Oh, that's good to know. And so, yeah, and so I would just, you know, if only there were more people who might be, I mean, you never know, because this guy sounds like he was really trained, you know, um, but um, you never know, somebody might have been able to stop him, you never know, right? So, um, it's just, wow, I mean, I'm kind of dumbfounded, yeah, I, I kind of yeah, really am. I, I, I can little... hear it in your voice that it's a, it's got to be a an exasperating situation to be in to see your community hit with something like this when it's not like you're in Chicago where this type of thing happens. Uh, maybe not one shooter on 22 people, but many a weekend there are 22 people that get shot in Chicago. And it, it, I'm looking at a story here, a report from the New York Post that says uh, the mayor of a neighboring town in uh, Lewiston, the the city of Auburn, Maine, a guy named John Levesque, uh, who says that, you know, everybody's on board in terms of law enforcement, everybody's helping out. And then he, there's a quote. He says, I can't go to the grocery store without running into someone who's complaining about a pothole. It may seem insignificant at this point, but this is what we're talking about typically, and that's how tight the community is. And he also said that this type of violence is completely unusual. And I have to agree, you know, it, it's it's sad and it's rare and it, it shouldn't happen, but it did. And this guy, again, according to NBC News, uh, reported to be a former military and had discussed potentially shooting up a military installation and was institutionalized for two weeks uh, on a... Uh, commitment. He was committed to a mental uh, institution. And, and th- these are the things, that, again, I think we have to do better at. I'm not saying keep people in jail. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking we, we, we must do better in that regard. Allison, thanks for the call. Godspeed to you. Um, this too shall pass. Let us uh, continue. Let's go to Rob Mitchell, South Dakota. K-O-R-N. Go right ahead. Hey there, it's Rob. Hey Rob. <laughs> I worked with some combat veterans and mom kind of got me started in that. She was a she was an RN, worked with mental health and uh, combat veterans in South Dakota and Alaska. And anyway, there's so much I want to tell you and I can't even really get a thought together. The thing I did was I'm not a professional i'd take them out of the institutions and take them out to the family ranch take them fishing and and it's just like uh it's taken me a long time to even talk about it. i just got so emotional i lost 13 of them oh man and uh no matter what you do mom told me you just can't take it personally because sometimes no matter what you do you're just not going to be able to save everybody I think you're right, Rob. I have a friend who works uh, for a private um, home. Uh, I think they label it a club, but it's really a a mental health facility for uh, what they specialize in is corporate executives that 
face serious mental health challenges, and uh, they they become members of this home, if you will, this club, and they have a ranch up in the the mountains of Pennsylvania, and they have a a what they call a clubhouse in Manhattan, and uh, most of them are corporate executives that, like I said, are retired judges, or just all sorts of professionals, typically uh, high income folks that you know are facing these these challenges. And that they do exactly what you're talking about. They create community with them and they take them to different activities and they help them to kind of get grounded again. And, you know, combat veterans, you know, should have that level of support from the VA and elsewhere. I mean, I think our, our current system of healthcare care uh, shouldn't exclude anybody that's that's a combat veteran. And I think in particular, combat veterans should get the support that they need uh, because they've put so much on the line for this country and for each and every one of us. And it, it, it's sad to see that this is the case, especially with this particular gentleman, um, you know, got, going through what he's gone through. And I, I do have sympathy for what he's going through. And, of, of course, I'll still say he's a murderous psycho because that's a fact as well, allegedly. And I, I just feel like we, we just need to do better. And, and the reason we need to do better is because we can. And when we have information like that, if somebody's saying, look, I've, I'm hearing voices we have to do a better job at keeping tabs on people and making sure that they get what they need. And maybe, again, it's my utopian thinking. Maybe it's pie in the sky and we really don't have that ability. But I think in the greatest country on God's green earth, we can do better. And rather than putting so much emphasis on making sure that uh, Leah Thomas can compete as a female or all these other uh, things that I would say pale in comparison to the severity of our mental health crisis in our country, uh, maybe we should put the emphasis where it's needed rather than where we'd like to see it. Uh, and that's a message to our friends on the left. Rob in Mitchell, South Dakota, K-O-R-N. Thank you, sir. Big shout out to everybody listening in South Dakota. Let's uh, continue. Let us go to uh, Sarah, Bedford, Indiana, W-B-I-W. Sarah, go right ahead. Great to talk to you, Rich. Uh, Likewise. This doesn't pertain directly to this uh, shooting, but... As far as school shootings go, I worked at a school as a janitor, took an informal survey of teachers after one of these school shootings. They were talking about, like, where does the rage come from in these boys? And it was interesting. They mentioned a variety of things. One thing was uh, constant reblending of families. A mom gets divorced, and then instead of staying single or keeping her dating life private, she moves in a new guy. Kids get used to him, call a stepdad, and then they divorce. You now then she kicks him out, so there's instability at the home. Also, a lot of moms um, tend to rely emotionally on their son as a peer instead of a child. So they discuss things and burden him, with things that kids really should be shielded from. Uh, you, yeah, know. you know, there's a and term so, for that. They call it emotional incest when, when that happens. And, you know, you mentioned also something um, that's interesting. You said uh, a lot of these young boys, and, yeah, they are typically young men that do this, but... Uh, Audrey Hale was a female mass shooter in Nashville just earlier this year. And, it, 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 you know, I don't know if she's the phenomena or if she's breaking the phenomena of, of men uh, being male sh- uh, mass shooters, mass murderers, psychos. But um, interesting to see how how this stuff happens. And I think we have enough data that we could look at these things to help. You know, we profile for everything and we might as well. Again, if we can say, hey, look, your four year old thinks they're trans, let them be trans. If we can put effort and emphasis on that, then we should definitely be able to say, hey, look, this person is displaying the symptoms that we've seen in the last 15 mass uh, shooters, and maybe we should fix that stuff. At least that's what I think, Sarah. 
No, I, I agree. I, I, I just think, you know, in our country's history, we had far less mass shootings, and yet we had far less gun laws. So I'm tired of them talking about taking away our guns. Let's look at the way we raised children in the past as compared to today. Yeah. I mean, it, we're creating, and, you know, as I told your screener, we've addressed toxic masculinity. We need to talk about toxic feminism. And yeah. I think there's a lot of that going on in homes these days. Excellent point. Maybe that's a whole topic we can do on the show. Toxic femininity. I love it. Uh, I'd, I'd like to dig into the bottom of that as well, if we could find somebody who's a pro at that. Uh, I certainly am not, but uh, I'll definitely do some research on it. Sarah, thank you for the call. Bedford, Indiana, WBIW. We come back to the rest of your calls and more. Don't go anywhere. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. to be on your show, Rich. It's just an amazing broadcast that I hope the rest of America listens to every day. America at Night with Rich Valdez. Call now, 833-4-VALDEZ. That's 833-482-5337. 833-4-VALDEZ. That's Valdez with an S. We continue our discussion into what what goes on in the mental health state of somebody like Robert Card, who allegedly uh, murdered 22 people tonight and uh, injured three or four dozen more? And and it's it's a it's a fascinating conversation. And I want to go to Israel, Amsterdam, New York, on WGDJ. Israel, welcome. You're on with Rich Valdez. What's going on, Rich? How's everything? I'm good, brother. What's up with you? Not much. Listen, I'm from I'm from born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. I graduated uh, Shell Bank Junior High in 1992, man. Oh shoot! You know, both my brothers went to Shell Bank Junior High, and if you've ever listened to the show before, I've talked about going to watch the WWE back when they were called WWF back in the 80s, and uh, that's where they did it. They would set up a ring in the gym at Shell Bank, and uh, my mom would bring me, and I'd go with my brothers, and it was it was a fantastic time. Big shout out to Brooklyn and Shellbank. I never knew that. Thanks. Yeah. I went to uh, Huddy on Ostrand Avenue. Huddy. Okay. Okay. Cool. Um, yeah, man. I just, I just uh, uh, wanted to force, before I get in, I just want to say um, you're doing a fantastic job, man. I, I've been listening since you made the transition from Jim to you. And, oh, thank uh, you. I don't really, I, yeah, I mean, I, I never really listened to uh, like um, talk, talk radio that much and um i've been trying to tune in every night man showing so much support and uh you put on a hell of a show so thanks, i appreciate buddy. that brother it means a lot um also a, fe- a fellow body okay Whippa. <laughs> uh yeah man all right so yeah i was just gonna touch on that uh it definitely starts in the home man like the quote uh denzel washington definitely starts in the house man as far as yep. uh mental uh mental uh decline and whatnot because just uh 
proof of that is um, I, I, my, my mother was single, uh, and I grew up in a single family home with my mother in, uh, in the projects. And, uh, you know, she worked most of her, her days in, into the night, and I was there by myself or with my little brother, et cetera, or in, or in the streets. Like, daddy was like a street corner, I'll be honest. And, uh, you know, I didn't do so fantastic throughout life. Um, but on the flip side, my son, who I'm currently divorced with his mother, but she's a great woman. I'm also, uh, we both had head, uh, head on our shoulders. And, uh, my son is uh, the old total opposite of how I grew up. You know, it's nice, nice home and he's a good kid into uh, academics. And, you know, as far as uh, plays football and, you know, he's, he's doing excellent in school. I mean, that, that isn't, that's you know, our job, right? That's what we're supposed to do. Yes, sir. And, um, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a major difference, man. I, I've gotten into much conflict growing up in, um, you know, situations where I had to kind of learn for myself. You know, my mom, I don't blame my mother. She did the best she could do. She's a single mom. Sure. She said she worked a lot, but, um, you know, it definitely, you know, definitely, I'm definitely grateful for my son for the upbringing that he has and the two positive people that he has in life, which is his parents. And, um, he's doing great, man. And it, like I said, it definitely starts in the house, brother. And some of some of these, some of these kids, need guidance more than others, man. Some of these kids need a push. They need that extra, you know, they need that extra person in their, in their corner, man, rooting for them. You know, it, it just goes a long ways. Trust me. I, 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 I'm a proof of it. So right. I know if I, I, I can feel it in my bones that, you know, if, if I, if I grew up with another a parent, you know, if I grew up with two positive people encouraging me and having my back, I would have been a, a lot different person than I am today. So, could have saved you a little bit of hurt along the way too, for sure. You, you learn lessons when, when you grow up that way. And, and it, what it does is in my opinion, it makes you the dad that you are today. It, it gives you the insight of saying, Oh, I learned what I shouldn't do. So I'm going to do this and, and you make it happen and you're able to change in a positive way and impact your, your kid's life and, and really a generation, right? And maybe multiple generations. Cause your kid now has a different outlook on things and he's like, Hey, I'm, uh, I grew up this way. And I want my kids to be better than I grew up. And, and it's that cycle of continuous improvement that I think makes, makes all the difference in the world. Now, if you uh, grew up in the PJs, uh, is that the ones that are right there down the block from Shellbank? Yes, sir. Sheepshead Base, Nostrand High, uh, Nostrand Project, excuse me. Yeah, yeah. I, I know them well. I had some, uh, I had some, some cousins that, that lived there. Yeah. Not, not a horrible neighborhood, but uh, definitely a tough one. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, uh, believe it or not, one year it was voted, uh, for highest murder rate. One year. That wow. was back in the 90s, though, Rich, you know, the 90s. Um, but yeah, I was there from 90, I was 17 years, I, I moved in in 1990, 17 years there. A lot of lessons learned, a lot of, uh, <laughs> situations that I had to quickly learn my lesson. You know, either sink or swim, you know what I mean? Absolutely. Um, but I'm going to say, I'm going to just end it on this and, uh, say that, uh, you live and learn, and uh, those situations could either make you or break you, and I'm living proof of it. So. Sounds like you made it, buddy. God bless you, my brother. Thanks for the call, and thanks for listening to the show. I appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Folks, we're coming right back. Your calls and more. Don't move a muscle. This is America at Night with Rich Valdez. America at night 
with Rich Valdez. All right, we continue our journey across the country. Let's go to the Midwest, Chicago. WGN, check in with Ken. Ken, go right ahead. Rich, good evening. Uh, it's so unfortunate, another mass shooting here. I actually live in the suburbs of Chicago, not far from where that mass shooting took place on 4th of July in Highland Park, north of Chicago. Oh. Oh, yeah. And, you know, another crazy kid with a father who, you know, signed for the kid to be able to legally purchase a gun. He, you know, signed the kid's FOID card and allowed him to get a gun. And my wife works in the school system with mental health. And a number of years ago, the state of Illinois cut in half the funding uh, for programs across the board. And thousands of people in mental hospitals were let go. And thousands of people uh, no longer could get their medications. I'm amazed that this country is able to find billions of dollars to help people all over the world uh, for everything that's going on right now. But we can't find a dime to help in mental health uh, in, in, in the, in the, in the United States, it's, mm-hmm. it's a shame. And it's, it's, it's just sad. I'm with you, brother. And, and for me, it's, it's, it's not even a question of funding, although that's a legitimate issue to me. It's just, there's so many groups and community groups and, and, and there's money out there. I mean, there's plenty of rich people that are looking to put their money behind something meaningful. I feel like there's just not enough of a push to, to put emphasis on mental health awareness and it's one of those things where I guess it was taboo for a long time. And then ultimately it, it's being accepted now. And it, it's, uh, I agree with you. It's a sad state of affairs. Ken, thank you for the call. I appreciate it. Frank in Evergreen, Montana. We're down to like 45 seconds. Make it count, brother. Okay. I'll give you a laugh. Okay. Thank you. I um, find it curious how Mike Johnson got the cut such strong support from the rhinos. But to me, yeah. it's, the party is, is now going into a shift of a, it's no longer the grand old pachyderm party. It's going to be a combination of rhinos and elephants, a new species called the I, elephino. Elephino, <laughs> Frank. <laughs> that was funny. Uh, ending on a positive note there, Frank. Thank you for the call. Big shout out to Montana. And folks, take care, good night, and God bless. Hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.